We've reached the first dream level. Our mission is to find the portal to the next level and enter it. Yeah, it's so black in here. It's, it's a smoky moonlight night with black bears in the black forest while tar pits are going underfoot and dark chocolate falls from the skies. In other words, I can't see where I'm supposed to be going. I think we just got picked up by black vans with men in black inside them, but they fell into a pit and that's where we need to be. Watch out, that last tip's a doozy. The second dream level, and it's just as crazy as the first. Ow, and Igret pecked me. Everything's so white in here. It's hurting my eyes. Baby harp seals on snow with just one color of Christmas nights and white chocolate falling out of the sky. Which is actually good, but I wish I'd brought my sunglasses. You know, falling through an iceberg while albinos shoot ivory arrows at me would usually be a bad thing. In this case, I think we're entering dream level number three. Oh crap, it's an army of relatives. Watch out for that line of mother-in-laws and their spoiled daughters. I wouldn't if I wasn't getting attacked by gold-digging sisters and overachieving parents. No, if we can take out that domineering father, we'll be at the fourth level and we can finally defeat the mastermind of his nightmare. because I sleep in a hyperbaric chamber so that my mind is free. People like to lie about me because they're ignorant. Come on, let's play. People even say I'm dead because they're ignorant. But I'm alive, see? Uh, I think the world may be in big trouble. There are RPGs long forgotten, beyond that which is known to the modern gamer. It is a catalog vast as space and timeless as myth and legends. It is the middle ground where panelists from RP Gamer discuss computer and console RPGs from the way back when, right up through yesteryear. This is a dimension of adventure beyond your imagination. This is the RPG Backtrack. And here are the hosts of RPG Backtrack, Philip Willis and Mike Meeky. And welcome to RPG Backtrack number 49. Wow, just one away from the big 5-0. Today we're talking about a couple of Alundra games, and we're following that up with some blast from the recent past action. To help me out tonight, I got my good friend and partner, Mr. Mike Minky. Oh, who goes there? The new commanding officer. Holy Moses! Oh, new commanding officer. And also with us this evening, the wondrous, the beautiful, the stunning Sam Marshmallow. Oh, Phil, you flatter me so much. I try, I try. Am I really? Am I really that? You are. You absolutely are indeed. Oh, I'm blushing from ear to ear. There you go. Sam makes certain <laughs> shades of sunshine look absolutely pale and watery in comparison. She does. Absolutely, she does. You know, and when she asked me that question, she said, Phil, do you do you really mean that? Am I really beautiful? All of a sudden, I saw this big circle pop up in front of me with these different choices, a la Mass Effect, and I had to pick which one. That was really great. 
So the angel and the devil on the shoulder have been outmoded? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, talking with Sam has now become a, become a Mass Effect uh, RPG right in front of my face. Make it sound like I'm atrocious to talk to! <laughs> no, you're not atrocious, but it's my understanding that one or the more games that we'll be talking tonight might actually come underneath that classification. Well, let's put it this way. One is good. One is super duper ultra stupid bad. That Unless you talk to certain people who like that sort of thing. Who, who love it to the point of the ends of the earth and we have to question their mental health? What are we talking about? Well, our audience, you'll get to find out after this momentary break. We'll be right back. So our main event for tonight, we're going to be talking about the adventures of Alundra 1 and 2, I think, on the PlayStation. This is developed by Matrix Software. The publish, uh, Alundra is published by Working Designs here in North America for your PlayStation, and I believe it is on the PSN. It was released in North America January 7th, 1998. And re-released on the PlayStation Network not too long ago, October 12, 2010. A single-player action-adventure experience rated E for everyone. Or is it? Let's find out. Actually, this makes a nice dovetail to our last show, which also featured Working Designs games. Except this one, Working Designs put out very quickly after the Japanese release, showing that it was possible. You know, considering their track record, yeah. Kind of impressive. Yeah, less Boy. than three months later. Yeah, that's actually really good. Some companies even now can't manage that. That's true. Admittedly, there is no voice acting that to have uh, slowed down the process in this game. Well, I'm trying to remember, but wasn't this like one of their first PlayStation this, titles that they did? This was the first did? Working Designs PlayStation title, and I think it was made possible... Because good old Bernie Stolar left Sony of America and went over to Sega of America, where his reign was um, unhappy for anyone who happened to like RPGs or had any sort of hope the Saturn might ever get anything else. But that's a, that's that's a painful story. Bernie Stolar and anything to do with RPGs was generally a painful story. And yes, so. had it not been for that defection. Uh, the PlayStation probably would not have seen the Lunar games because Sony was adamantly opposed to letting them come out before Bernie Stolar left. 
Well, we have to thank Working Designs in its own special little bubble, just because, you know what, they are the reason we've, we've gotten so many obscure RPGs for the PlayStation. I mean, you know, most of us probably didn't know Alundra exist before it came out. And, I mean, I mean, people say it's a spiritual successor to what, Landstalker, right? Landstalker is the big one, mostly because the people who made, who, fought, who founded Matrix Software came from Climax, and Climax was best known for Landstalker, although there did a few others in the interim. Mm. So, I mean, there's not much else we can possibly say. I mean, without them, we didn't, we wouldn't have gotten Ark the Lad, we wouldn't have gotten Lunar, and we wouldn't have gotten Vanguard Bandits, and those are some pretty good games, for the most part. And even though it was the last thing the company did, Growlancer Generations. Oh, Growlancer's awesome. But that's not what we're talking about. No, it's not. It's a sad, it's... sad day that, you know, Girlancer was really the last thing. Uh, yeah, we're, we we're talking about Alundra, right? Doesn't Alundra make yeah. you super happy? In some ways, yes. Yes, in some for, ways, for yes. For instance, some ways, no. here, here is how it, div- it is both similar to and divergent from Landstalker. It has platforming, but where Landstalker was an isometric view... And everybody knows how much fun it is to jump around with an isometric view. This one is simply overhead. That means you don't have to figure out which freaking angle you're looking at the space from. Most of the time. On the other hand, though, having that overhead perspective is really problematic in some of the um, areas. Because sometimes you're not able to gauge your jumps properly. That part is actually what drove me to the drink with Alundra. Was not being able to gauge how much distant I had, and because his jump is has to be very precise, trying to do a lot of things in, in some of those puzzles is just a Oh, platforming elements in my RPG color me excited! I don't well, mind so platforming. Alundra is best compared to a Zelda title with overhead platforming. The comparison is very fair. Mm, but I don't remember jumping around in Zelda. That's what I said with the jumping. I mean, that sounds cool. Jumping makes it more awesome, right? Sometimes. Mm. But Phil, mm. how has your tolerance for pixel-perfect platforming become in the last few years? Oh, man, I just I just crave it. There's nothing more awesome than just missing it by a teeny, tiny <laughs> bit and falling to your death. Well, I you mean... Don't fall to death. You just have to leave the room and come back in again where everything will have reset. Mm. Try again. You know, I remember one of the things that I liked. I mean, I remember the first time I remember that being addressed was in, um, I think it was Tomb Raider, where uh, when with that one, which was you know all pretty much all platforming, uh, they had designed it to where you could hit the jump button several steps before the actual ledge and Lara wouldn't actually jump until she actually got to the ledge so it gave you some leeway to where you didn't have to make every jump pixel perfect and that game got glowing reviews so you're saying Alundra went just the opposite direction though no Alundra got really good reviews this is the thing like even though it's actually a very you know well-loved game the problem with Alundra for a lot of people is that the pixel-perfect jumping does mm-hmm. get very frustrating because sometimes if there's too much in the environment, you're not able to see how far you can jump. If sometimes you have things that are blocking 
the puzzles like a lot of enemies. Like, the big thing that I didn't like in terms of the puzzles was when the puzzles had enemies that would beat the living snot out of you. So you had to clear them out first, and if you screwed up the puzzle, you had to walk out, fight the enemies again, <laughs> and then do it all over again. And that quickly got to me, because yeah. I couldn't take my time to sit and figure it out. One thing that upset me is the fact that, you know, I'm someone who, you know, I can have a ton of patience, but if I have to do a puzzle, like, more than seven or eight times, I'm putting the game down. Because at that point, it's not fun. Even if I've figured the puzzle out, the perfect pixel jumping is enough to annoy the living crap out of you. Yeah. Because you can you can try all you want, and if you're just not getting it, it can be really frustrating to the point where you just want to throw the controls and say, you know what? Maybe I need to come back at this another day with a clear head. <laughs> I had to do that many a times when I was playing it, and I yeah. admittedly didn't get that far. I mean, I, I got about 10 you to 11 to hours the, in. You got to the, the, the seashore cave or whatever that place yeah. was. And you know what? I got pretty fed up with just the fact that perfection is demanded in this game. There's there's no room for error. and The coastal cave, that's it. Yeah, the coastal cave. And, you know, I'm not used to that in my platformers because the majority of platformers, you know, it's not always pixel-perfect jumping. Usually you can just get enough leeway and you're fine. It's like you used with the Laura Croft example. Uh-huh. If there's enough leeway, you don't feel so bad. It gives you enough time to think. It gives you enough time to quickly do something, whereas I found in Alendra, especially in rooms where there's a lot of enemies, um, especially, and even worse, a room with enemies that's timed, Yes, and that, and that just keeps get, ramping up as the game continues. Lots of rooms where once you hit the switch, you need to bounce around as quick as you possibly can. And if you fall down, uh, get out, try it again, no matter if there are, what, 10, 12 platforms that you need to jump between. Got to try it all over if you make one mistake. Yeah. Like, th- this game is for, uh, as far as I'm convinced, someone who has the patience of a saint, and that's truthfully not me. Like, I think the puzzles are fantastic in the sense that you can definitely see the amount of effort and thought that got put into them. At the same time, it definitely backfires just in the sense that some of them can be so frustrating. <laughs> you just yeah, it's not the, the problem is not the solution. It's, the problem is making the solution happen even once you know what it is. Oh, I had many of those moments. <laughs> oh, just there was oh, a few times in the like one of the areas that I remember drove me ballistic because I knew what the solutions were, but just having to repeat the process over and over again was the ancient shrine. There's one really annoying puzzle in there, and Dooms, I know you know which one I'm talking about, where you have to toss a barrel. There's a platform where the door is, and then there's quicksand in between, and you have one platform that you're standing on. So what you have to do is you have to toss the barrel, then you have to jump on the barrel, hit the switch, hit the, like, jump from the switch back onto the platform, take said barrel, toss it into the quicksand, and then jump on the barrel to get to the platform where the door is. And you only had less than 30 seconds to do it. And if you toss the barrel in the wrong spot, and if you toss the barrel in the wrong spot, you had to do it all over again. 
until you hit the, the sweet spot. I think I had to do that one like 20 times. And I remember my, my poor boyfriend coming up the stairs and going, so how many times have you done that? And I said, 20. He goes, maybe you should put the game down. And I said, no, I'm so mad right now. He actually turned the game off on me. So. Yeah. One thing that uh, you were mentioning while playing it, and I ran into a few times, is that you can only, you can carry only one of most of your healing items and only four of the herbs. So if you I take a lot of damage... Nine, nine oh, herbs. Not, oh, that's right. It was nine herbs and one of everything else, which, yeah, that sucked. <laughs> so if the enemies aren't feeling like dropping health re refills all the time, then you could be running low on health, and the game... I don't want to come down too hard on the game for this because it does have a lot of chests with health refilling items in them. The problem is that I usually wasn't out of that item at the time I found the chest, so I had to remember where it was and come back to it later. To be honest, though, that, that's not actually that big a deal in some ways. Like, I don't see that as being too horrible. Because you're right, in, mo in some cases though, you had to backtrack anyways in certain dungeons. So that wasn't so much a big deal going back and getting certain chests, right? If you didn't open the, the chest and you couldn't carry the item, most of the dungeons forced you to backtrack. So it yeah. didn't matter. You were going to go back and get it anyways at some point when you needed it. So I don't, I don't see that as being that big of a fault. Um, the limited items itself, I find to be a fault. Especially because in a game that um, has pixel-perfect platforming plus... Um, my god, the, the the sword in the game sucks. Like, it's yeah, very short-ranged. So you have to tap it's it and tap it and tap it in hopes that you'll hit the enemy. But the problem is that the enemies I often, at least from the last two dungeons I did before I stopped, have longer range than you do. Particularly the ogres and um, the little crab... What is it? The rock turtles. And their stupid fire oh, attacks, which those takes things are at least easy. three squares. They're you don't easy. fight the sword. You just throw a bomb at them. Oh no! I that's what I did. I throw bombs at it or use the um, the chain whip, which was a godsend in some ways. But and eventually you do get upgrades for all of your weapons, and the upgraded whip is rather helpful. And you eventually get a bow, which does crap damage, but it allows you to shoot instead of get up in the enemy's face. Yeah. I can't remember if you played to the point where you got the bow or not. I didn't. Okay. I got as far as the aqua boots, which were pretty cool. Yes, except the aqua boots let you swim, and what you're rapidly going to find in Alundra is that there are mines in the water. And Alundra doesn't take swimming into mines very well, which is fine, because they're the World War II type of mine with spikes all over. They don't explode, they just poke you really hard. <laughs> Was not a fan. Now, you mentioned the ancient cave. I'm struggling to remember exactly which cave it was, but there is a particular puzzle which just infuriated me, where you're in a, you're in a dark room, and you need to toss four flames onto uh, four unlit torches in order to light it. The, you have various little small platforms in the middle of a sea of spikes. Every time you misjudge your jump, you take damage from the spikes and you break the torch. Ooh, that sounds like uh, B-I-T-C-H. 
Yes. I, uh, I don't think I'd be happy with that. I think that would have taken me 20 tries, and then a lot of screaming, and then a lot of waking up my neighbors. I think it took me about that many tries. And, you know... Uh, and, of course, uh, the torches themselves are on a fairly small platform as it is, so you have to be careful when you jump on there that you aren't jumping onto the spikes instead, and then you have to be careful when you're jumping off of the platform that you get just to that right pixel so that you're able to jump to the next platform without hitting the spikes. Yeah, that sounds awful. <laughs> um, I, I can't say it was all that much fun. You know, we pick on the fact that the puzzles were pretty challenging. And, you know, like, yes, they're very well thought up, but by golly, were they frustrating. But we, knew, we didn't actually talk about why the game is the way that it is and how the story's set up. Well, you can start, and I can just jump in with spoilers sure. all the time. So, the story of Alundra is that you play a young man who was boarding a ship. You know, he decides to take a nap and has a mysterious dream, um, and a being named Lars comes to tell him that, you know, he's a guardian. There's a, there's guardians of a seal of some sort. And, unfortunately, in this dream, Alundra sees a vision of the town of Inoa, and he is given the title of the releaser. He has the ability to dreamwalk, which is pretty darn cool. He also He's meets an evil being called Melzus, which promptly informs him that his power will amount to nothing and Melzus will conquer the world or destroy it as, as he sees fit. Oh, there's that. And it's the fact that, you know, um, the people of Inua. You know, they're all suffering from different diseases and different nightmares and when Alundra gets to Inua after his ship gets wrecked. Um, you know, these people are asking him for, you know, his help to, to rid them of their nightmares. And that in itself is a really fascinating concept to have as a story. Um, compared to most Zelda games, Alundra has a very mature story. I mean, in spite of its Zelda clone-ness. Uh, well, yeah, the fact know. that Elzus announces himself as the villain at the beginning doesn't necessarily mean that he's your only villain, because the people of Inoa are not your typical chatty, stupid NPCs. There's a lot of variety to them. They're actually very aggressive for the most part. Um, well, some of some them, them are. Some of them... I was going to say, some of them view Alundra as a saint, and then others view him as the devil himself. So you have these, these villagers who are so conflicted by Alundra's presence, but a lot of them, you know, they're trying to find some sort of good in the world, and when they ask Alundra to release one of their friends from the nightmares, they're generally pretty appreciative. But what's kind of interesting is that while these events are going on, there's other tragedies that are, are happening in and around the town. Uh, for an example, there's a mine that collapses, and Alindra's asked to go check on the people in the mine to make sure that they're okay. And a lot of them, I think, if I'm not mistaken... All like, of them die. All of them die, yeah. They all die in this mine, and you have to be the one to go back and pretty much say, oh, yeah, everybody died. Um, it's really sad in a lot of ways, because Alindra is definitely more of a game about death than life. Um, people die so frequently in it, 
and Alundra is the one who gets blamed for it because of this special power he has. Um, and I really love the concept of the story. I think um, there's just a lot of depth and a lot of maturity, and it's it's just very different from what you see in a lot of RPGs. It's a very serious game. Like, considering the majority of working designs were pretty, uh, most of working designs localizations were pretty quirky and funny. Alundra was a weird case of it was very stone ser- serious for the most part. Except uh, for uh, what's his face Beaumont, the yeah. guy in the south of the village who constantly speaks surfer dude talk. Whoa, man! I want to hang ten on this awesome ride. Bummer, man. I thought she was going to go for me, but no, she didn't. Oh. And that's how he yep. talks all the time. Even yeah, after Alundra well, goes into his dreams to uh, to save him from the fate that has befallen a few others. Yeah, but, yeah, what does he do when he wakes up? He He tells us, man... That was a gnarly dream. Oh my goodness. Um, you know, if he's the only character that does that, I don't see that as being a bad thing, considering... Well, the the only other case that even comes close is how Jess, the man who adopts Alundra after he's washed up on the beach, he, he has a little aphorism... You know what I'm saying? He'll say that all the time. Uh, I would, I would like you to stay here all night and just think of this as your home. You know what I'm saying? But I, you know I, what? I, I would like you to stay with me forever because I, I, I'm happy with you in the house. You know what I'm saying? I again, for me, I'm looking at that more as that's a positive influence for Alundra's character, and I don't mind that he's a bit quirky in that regard. Um, no, you run into people most... like that all the time. But like I said, for the most part, this is a very stone-serious game. Um, just the way people react and the way that they um, treat even one another is very intriguing. Um, one particular character, um, is it Gillis is his name? Or Giles? The guy with the, the overly religious man and his sister. Oh, yes. I'm trying to remember his name. Um, you know, at one point, after you do the ancient shrine... Keisha, that's that, her name. Keisha. When you go back into Inoa after the doing the ancient shrine, um, Jills comes up to you and says, you can't be here anymore. Um, and as you continue to talk to him, he says, you're, you're the devil himself. He goes, you're, you're the one to kill us all. You're the one who's going to bring the apocalypse. And it's kind of interesting that you have this character whose front is very... He's very terrified. But instead of that cowering, terrified, you know, he's the first one to point the finger and say, it's you. It was you all along. You've cursed us all. And um, I thought that was really intriguing just because, you know, I know that they're portraying him as a religious nut, but I do feel a bit sorry for him because, I, you know, part of it is he's not understanding the whole situation. And in a way, he doesn't want to understand the situation. You know, he's blaming Alindra for his sister. Um, yeah, and... He's behaving like certain zealots do all over the world, and yeah, that's that makes him pretty unlikable unless you happen to share his zealotry, but it also makes him fairly realistic because lots of zealots will convince themselves that there's an external cause unrelated to the real cause, and they'll just pursue it for 
with all of their life essence. Yeah. And, and even Giles, uh, well, his, he eventually dies, but because Alundra did everything he could to save him in his dreams, uh, his sister Keisha is more or less, she's not beholden with a grudge afterwards. The real zealot of the game would be Ronan, the village priest, who you you don't deal with too much until later in the game. And that deals with the other aspect of Alundra's plot, which I don't think you got into too much, where several years before the king of the land, you never see the king, Inoa is the only place you visit in the entire game, but uh, the worship of their old gods was outlawed. And the people of Inoa have been trying to cope with that for the last few years, trying to figure out, well, should we sneak into the church and pray to the old gods anyway, or should we try and find something else to worship? And as it turns out, Melzus, our villain, uh, his origin was something involving him being an alien, and his alien powers allowed him to take the good wishes of people, you know, prayers, and turn them into his own energy for whatever he wanted to do. And a king who spared him whenever he had originally arrived in the land eventually learned, oh crap, this thing is going to be the end of me, and did his best to ban worship of the gods and stop Melzus from attaining the power of the prayers. Obviously, since Melzus is in the game now, we know that he didn't succeed at that forever, but uh, it's an interesting concept of something regarded as a deity actually being out for the enslavement or destruction of all humankind. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's another thing you don't see too much in many lighthearted games. I'll say. <laughs> Nothing lighthearted about that. <laughs> Yeesh. And it sounds, it sounds like, just from what you've described, that Alundra continues, like, it starts out pretty dark, and it just sounds like it continues to get darker and darker um, as you progress. Yeah, don't be fooled by the fact that this looks like a slightly spiffed up Super Nintendo game. It contains darker stuff that Nintendo would have ever allowed to pass the censors back in those days. Which is incidentally a good thing. It's looking like a spiffed up Super Nintendo game because that means it looks pretty good now. Instead of like so many 3D play PS1 games, which look like, uh, well, 3D PS1 games now. I'm sure we're all familiar with how those look have aged. Uh, this was with full 2D. So this is basically two, two, souped up 2D graphics. Yeah, 2D sprites on an overhead view. Nice. Yeah, I, I am not a fan at all of PlayStation 1 generation 3D graphics. That's why, you know, I I'm, I consider myself a collector of uh, games, and I've got, I don't know, close to one and a half to 2,000. But, um, you know, my PlayStation 1 library is absolutely my smallest because th those graphics were just, ugh, I can't stand those early 3D graphics. Yeah, and we can also thank... Uh... The loss of Bernie Stolar for this because while he was in the company, he just kept pushing the 3D, pushing the 3D, and trying to eliminate any thought of 2D releases out in North America because 
they were antiquated and ugly and nobody wanted to play 2D stuff. Mm. And let's face it, in the early PS1 years, people generally didn't. People were easily wowed by those brand new spanking shiny PS1 graphics. At least, if you look back at the press of the time. It's kind of amazing that, you know, this was the case. I mean, it, you're right. A lot of the 3D graphics in the PS1 era were pretty fugly for the most part. Um, which I guess is why, you know, you look at a game like Alundra and it's aged in terms of its graphics quite nicely. But the 2D is so clean looking and that really is what makes it so attractive. I mean, the only other games that I can think of on the PS1 era where they were graphically as nice or better than Alundra is like Valkyrie, Valkyrie Profile, Profile. Uh, Star Ocean, the second story. Um, Tri-Ace in particular was very good about the melding of the 2D and 3D in their games and making these gorgeous looking graphics that even if you look at them now, they still look great. Um, yeah, and Matrix. And even some of the older Tales games, by the way, just to interrupt, uh, like Tales of Destiny, also still looks quite good even now. And I'm going to chalk it up to all that experience that people who founded Matrix had with earlier platform type games. In addition to Land Stalker, there was Lady Stalker, which nobody outside of Japan ever saw, but it's it's a it's a decent game. And Dark Savior on the Saturn. I believe that was out before they split off to form Matrix. So they had plenty of experience making overhead-style views that looked pretty good. Yeah, looking at some of the older titles, Matrix did uh, definitely quite nice. I, I don't know. Just I mean, even though the visuals are great... I think the visuals actually do impact the way that the platforming works in the game. Yeah, I'm going to chalk that up. The biggest thing for me was the difficulty engaging height, because with a straight overhead view, it can be really hard to tell, is that within my jumping height, or is it three platforms above so I'm going to have to bounce all over the damn place? Did you find that? Oh, yeah. There was a couple. Like, actually, there's one in the coastal cave where there's these um, four platforms. They're all tall, square platforms. And there's only one short one. Um, and you have to use the short one to try to jump onto one of these tall platforms. And then you have to try to gauge the direction from the tall platform. So you, don't, you can't really tell from where the platform is placed how much distance you have between jumps. Um, and I, found, I remember that being quite a pain at times, just because when I couldn't gauge something, you know, I'd fall off, have to try to figure it out again. And then I found out afterwards that I was supposed to be using a barrel to launch it as a extra bit of height because the area I was trying to get to was even higher than the four taller platforms, which drove me ballistic. <laughs> um <laughs> It's annoying to gauge jumps because of the overhead view, um, because you really can't tell the amount of distance you have. And sometimes it might look like you have a small distance, but because Alundra's jump is so stiff, um, you know, most of the time he's not arcing, he's shooting up in the air. And it's really hard to gauge the jumps just for the stiffness alone. 
Yeah, one thing I find lacking about Alundra, it's a fairly small thing, but he has a dash ability, but it, you never really need it in the game. I only did it a couple of times when I just wanted to move fast, and but it, it has no purpose in the platforming because he has no dash jump. You can't speed up, you just have to get to the last possible pixel of the platform and jump some of the time and hope that you were right on the money, or else you're going to fall down. Yeah, the trying to be dead on was just not fun in a lot of ways. I think this game could have benefited maybe from a different perspective. Like, you've obviously played more Climax games than I have. Um, if you look at a game like Landstalker and compare it to Alondra, which did you find more difficult in terms of platforming? Ooh, that is a tough question. Because I haven't played Landstalker in a few years, so I'm going to have to dredge my memories. But, uh... Okay, maybe a fairer comparison would be Steel Princess, because that's one you did recently <laughs> play. But, Clima- but Matrix and Climax had separated long ago by that point, so it's not necessarily fair. Mm, okay, well then, yeah, Landstalker is probably the better comparison. And well, do you remember the jumps being having to be pixel-perfect and stiff in Landstalker. Actually, I remember... What's his name? See, I can't even remember the name of the main character in Landstalker right now, but I remember you can't change your direction in mid-jump in Landstalker, which definitely fixes a lot of things. Some ways, but then again, because it's the Genesis, you have, and it's isometric, you have really no way of gauging your height except by just testing it and seeing if you were right. So, I'd say they each have their problems in certain ways. Isometric was definitely more of a pain for me most of the time because I just couldn't figure out, especially when it comes to, wait, is something behind that big, gigantic hill that I have to go and find? Yeah, eh. but Alundra has that problem, too. It does, but Some... not nearly the degree of an isometric game. And if you don't believe me, just try playing Landstalker and see what you find. <laughs> well, I mean, the only reason I say that is because there's numerous occasions where there's... Um, you'll be looking for an object, and the object is hidden behind something that you can't see at all. Yeah. Um, perfect example, Ancient Cave, where you have to toss the um, the different planet stones. and you have to do that quick as a bunny. You have to get it dead on or else you can't open the door. But what's really annoying is there's few points in that particular situation where the rocks are hidden. Yep. And you have yeah. – there's no hint that it's hidden behind something because of the way that the uh, overhead perspective is. Um, so you're running around looking and wondering why the heck you can't find this rock – and yes, you bump into it, but then it's the question of, okay, I just wasted, you know, 30 seconds trying to find this rock, and now my time is already up. Hey, that Phil, I think you've just been joined by someone else. Oh my god, somebody else! Hello. Hi, Paul. Mr. How are Mr. you? Higgaman, good day to you. Yes. So were, so were we jogging your memory with this talk of tossing the astrological symbols around? Yeah, it was not my uh, favorite part of the game. It's 
So tell us what you do like about Alundra. I like Alundra because it reminds me of the old uh, quest games like um, Illusion of Gaia and Terranigma and Soul Blazer. I can kind of see that, yeah. Though there's no resurrection of the world the way there was in... Well, I haven't played Terranigma because of its stupid PAL status and I couldn't get to play on an NTSC machine, but... Yeah, I haven't gotten to play... I played a little bit of it, but that was in college, so... Yeah, with the magic of uh, certain things that we shouldn't mention because they're technically illegal. Right. But yeah, I I can see similarities to the Quintet games. I did not play this, so I can't say yay or nay. Now, which puzzles do you remember with particular strength, Paul? Um, not very many, but I can say that the jumping in the game made me want to kill myself like it did in Landstalker. <laughs> we were just talking about that. <laughs> Fitting, since the, some of the same people worked on them. Yep. But yeah, I remember, I think it was the third dream sequence. I think there were some particularly annoying puzzles in there, but I can't remember specifics on them. I just know that was the longest one and it took me forever (laughs) to get through. Try to remember what the third dream sequence was. Jooms, you've played it more recent than I have. What is it? Do you remember? (laughs) I don't remember. Yeah, I can't either. There, there's, uh, you know, let's, let's give it its credit. It's a nifty game, but God, the jumping was awful. Yeah. We've, I think we've repeatedly said this. It's just, you get to a point where you, you just want to put the gun to your head and say, okay, okay, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. So, my logic is you either have to have the patience of a saint or you have to force yourself to have the patience of a saint. I can't do that. <laughs> After 10 hours, I knew I was like, I can't do this anymore. I'm, I'm not having fun. Which upsets me because, you know, we discussed the story and the story is just so nifty. Oh, absolutely. It's like the story is so nifty, but, you know, I got to the point where I just couldn't stomach the annoyance of the jumping and the fact that the overhead view makes it problematic to see and gauge how far you need to jump. Yeah. There was another game that came out during that same era that had the same problems. Uh, Wild Arms, maybe? Not necessarily with the jumping, but with the stupid isometric view. I'm trying to think. Jooms is the master of isometric view games, like He's played way more of those than I have, but I'm trying to remember one that in the same era came out that drove me ballistic that was similar to Alundra. But it's not coming to me. I mean, it's fair to say that it's a Zelda clone in a lot of ways. Like, I'm I'm never going to deny that. I actually think Alundra's a better game than Zelda. But I hate Zelda, so, you know, take that for what you will. 
I mean, I'm proud of myself. I got through as much as I did of Alundra just because I know how hard of a game Alundra is. Oh, absolutely. People, a lot of people try to sugarcoat the difficulty of that game. Um, And I think that's a bit unfair because you know what? I mean, you really have to have good perception skills with Alundra. And Alundra doesn't really allow you to have that in some ways because of the way it's set up. So you just have to keep trying and trying and trying and trying. And for a lot of people, especially nowadays, like we're pampered. Oh, yeah, that game would never get made nowadays. No. Just because, you know what? It just wouldn't work anymore. Right. Now, Alundra 2 should have never been made in the first place. Alundra 2 is a joke. It's amazing that it bears, you know, semblance with the same name. Yeah, it's like ActRaiser and ActRaiser 2. Proper introduction. A Lunger 2 developed by Contrail, published in North America by Activision. This is uh, a, a uh, action adventure single player game for your PlayStation 1. Released in North America on Ferry 29 2000 and uh, rated T for Teen or for Terrible, you decide. Now, now, come on, guys. This is a new Legend Begins. It's got a 2 at the end. This is exciting. It must be better than the first one. Alundra 2 was a turd. Turd? Oh my gosh, it's rated T for T- turd. It's T for turd, man. I mean, oh my God. this game was such a joke. Ooh, what happened? Um, It's fugly as sin. The main character's dumb as a stick. And all the good bits of Alundra are pretty much missing. Yeah, it's more of like a uh, action, go through the levels type game instead of exploration. So it kind of uh, defeated all the fun parts of the first one. Well, I mean, part of the the thing about Alundra Two is that it it really does not have the same kind of puzzle quality from what I remember. Like Alundra's Alundra's puzzles forced you to think about how you had to jump, where you had to place things. I found Alundra 2 to be kind of lacking in that regard. But, you know, it's been a long time for me since I've played it. I just, I remember not finding the puzzles as engaging as I did in the first game. Yeah, I, uh, I think it was 2000 when I played it. 2000, maybe 2001. 
but I just remember renting it, and I was like, this game is terrible. Good thing I didn't buy it. <laughs> See, um, I got it as a gift. Ouch. My my poor mother, you know, I love her to bits, and she's she's actually pretty good about RPGs. But I guess when this particular game came out, you know, she was just looking through my EGMs and going, oh, this game got decent reviews, you know, maybe Sam will like it. And she bought it for me. And, um, you know, I had to tell her really nicely, I'm like, Mommy, you know, I love you. This but- game's not fun. <laughs> this game is not fun <laughs> at all. So she took it back to the store for me and got me, I think it was Sweet not Sweet Code, it was Valkyrie Profile. <laughs> so, better trade-off in the end. Yeah, I think that worked out for you. Nah. You know what? Like, I, I love my mom for trying, but it even she watched me play, and she's like, you know, this game looks pretty horrible, Sam. I'm like, you didn't do a good job here. Because <laughs> so, my mom, you know, when I was growing up, she would purposely watch me play games just to make sure, you know, that the content was mostly age-appropriate, whatever. Um, but also just because she liked watching role-playing games. She, she enjoyed watching the stories and asking me questions. But this was a particular one I remember she looked at, and she's like, you know what? We're taking it back. I was like, okay. It's kind of sad, too, because the developer who made this, Contrail... Um, you know, they're responsible for Wild Arms 2 and uh, Legend of Lagaya, which Legend of Lagaya is a great game, and Wild Arms 2 is pretty fabulous, too. So how you get from Legend of Lagaya and Wild Arms 2 to this turd, I don't get it. I really don't. Yeah, I can't, uh... I can't... I have no idea. It's kind of like, um... Who's the crappy Star Ocean developer that I can't stand? Tries? It's like those guys. Yeah, I can't stand their games for the most part. Star Ocean games are terrible. And apparently the... Uh, what was the one they put out last year? Um, uh, Residence of Fate. Yeah, that's supposed to be pretty good. So I don't know. Well, Trias has the special category of... Um, and I've discussed this with people before. They make flukes. <laughs> and you have games like... Valkyrie Profile, which is a fluke. It's one of the few games that always gets a ton of praise because it's just a beautifully crafted game. The other fluke that they have is um, Radiata Stories. A lot of people love that game. Like, it's cute, it's fun, it's cheeky. And then you have Resonance of Fate, which everyone is also calling a fluke now. I, I'm in the camp that actually does like Star Ocean 2, the second story. I do love it. Um, and I think it's a game that has aged very well in terms of 3D, like we've discussed this earlier. Um, it has nice visuals. But the problem with the Star Ocean series is that the stories are kind of dumb. Um, and they, in terms of like the stories themselves, they, they tend not to age well. And oh my god, Star Ocean 4 gives me nightmares. Um, <laughs> you know, I remember playing that and getting flamed on our forums for it. And you know what? I don't regret the two that I gave it. It was a turd. It made me unhappy. I mean, I feel sorry for poor Jooms because, you know, he forced himself to play Alundra 2 after I think nearly half the staff who had played it had said, please don't hurt yourself. Like, I think a lot of us told him, you're going to hurt yourself with this game. It's nothing like the first game to the point where, like, you question why it's called Alundra 2. 
Like, there's nothing reminiscent about it in the slightest. Um, even just the way that the plot, which is about this young boy named Flint, who's like, you know, he's a hero thief, and oh my god, like, he's gonna go save Princess, and it's gonna be great. Um, you don't care. Care what he does. I mean, it's not like he has the special ability to dreamwalk, which is so darn cool. No, he's just this lame kid. <laughs> he's like really lame. So how do you how do you go from really awesome plot, pretty engaging puzzles, eh, had some stiff jumping, but you know, I'm gonna forgive it in this case compared to Alondra too. Um, to Boring, boring, bland, stupid, crappy, ugly. Uh, yeah, I don't. A different developer, I guess. And they didn't play the first one. <laughs> I don't know. You know, it's it's just like what you said about Actraiser. You have to question the sequel. You know, everybody loves the first one, and then the second one comes out, and everyone's just like, I don't get it. Like, it's, it's weird also because, like, James was talking about how, um, if you look on YouTube and you watch Let's Plays of Alundra, a lot of people are saying, like, yeah, I played this game, like, five times. And I'm thinking to myself, I barely got through five hours. Like, <laughs> I don't understand this. But I guess there's apparently some fine line in nostalgia that makes Alundra too good. Um, oh yeah, you're always gonna have you know you're always gonna have a, a grouping of people that like uh, games, especially I've noticed that when it's just the sheer difficulty that uh, makes or break a game, there's always gonna be this c- contingent of people that uh, I guess they somehow feel better about themselves when they beat on their chest and say, "Yeah, I like this game. It's awesome. I like my games raw." You know, it's just. But, uh, you know, looking back at the reviews, I'm just kind of going through some of the critic reviews. Um, Alundra 1 got an 85 on the average. Alundra 2 got 70%. Um, So there definitely is, in Alundra 2, a couple of uh, reviews in there. As I look over them, uh, you see see some reviews that are down there in the 60s, and then you got some that are in the high 80s. (laughs) A 90. (laughs) I see a 90. (laughs) You're like, what the heck? But yeah. you know what? As we've established before in the reviewing community, the problem is that when we were all growing up, I mean, you have to remember RPGs were not a dime a dozen. So we took what we got. Yeah, yeah. Especially for what it was. Especially back in the you know PlayStation One days, you had your you know your Final Fantasy and your Suikoden's, but there really wasn't that many RPGs for those years coming out on consoles. No, and the other thing is that you know a lot of people. If they were to go back now, play those games that they scored really high, in this case, Alendra 2, I don't think they'd have the same um, opinion of it the way they did years ago. No, uh, no, well... Yeah, definitely not. No. Like, I think with the original Alendra, you can make a slight case for it, but it also depends on your tolerance for that type of platforming. Right? I think there's a case to be made for the first game. The second game, the fact that it scores even in the high 80s um, from some critics is kind of baffling just because it's it really is such a clunky game. 
Yeah, but I mean, yeah. yeah. But, okay, where where are we? I'm sorry, everybody. We just learned that Suddenlink's internet is far from infallible, and that I have to trust some random signal out in the ether. Yeah, we we've uh, moved on to a lunge or two, and we were talking about uh, some of the. Uh... I wanted to talk about Aya in a lunge one. <laughs> well, it's not as if we're running short on time, is it, Phil? We can always go back to it. On more final thoughts. More final yeah. thoughts. <laughs> more final <laughs> thoughts, like Jerry Springer, okay? <laughs> It'll be fine. But yeah, if we're talking about the second one, then... Um, have we observed how badly it looks compared to the, the first one yet? Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> we talked about how have it's probably ob- one of the ugliest games ever made. Have we observed that it has absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with the first one, and yet it is in fact called its sequel for no apparent reason? Yes, we have. Well, I'd like to observe a little something. Flint is one of the most beaten-upon heroes I've ever seen in a game. Most of the scenes you'll see with him involve him uh, getting somebody smacking him down, or falling down, or being the victim of a trap, or just looking like a short little punk who can't do a damn thing for himself. In other words, he does not look heroic. But he is your hero. Poor baby. <laughs> Wait, I, I would feel sorry for him. One, there's this... There's a little moment. Mephisto... I hope I'm not spoiling anything when I say that Mephisto, the green magician, is a villain. Well, he, oh, has, no. this ma- he has this magical device to get anywhere he wants... It involves a, a little flying autogyro, which he grabs from underneath and hangs onto as he crosses oceans. Does that sound efficient to anyone? Hmm. Sounds like the way to travel. Oh, yeah. I, I always love to cross the Atlantic by holding something for eight hours for dear life. Oh, and he's he's evil. You know this the first time he meet he meets you because he puts a magical key, one of those little clockwork keys that you use to turn things, into his cat and turns it into your first boss encounter. <laughs> I'd say that was nasty of him, but the cat turns into something that looks more like a sphinx when you fight it, so it doesn't really feel like beating on a cat. <laughs> Now, let's see. So many wonderful moments in Alundra True. How about the slowness of Flint? Yes. Particularly when he fights bosses, you're going to wonder, I'm running. Why are you so slow, Flint? Why can you not dodge that enemy? Oh, because I have to mentally make that connection. I'm sorry. Also, the boss fights are very annoying for one particular reason, which is... The, fi- the viewpoint is fixed. So if you happen to get into a spot where you can't necessarily see what's happening, too bad for you. And in a game where you can normally freely switch the view around and you will need to, that's not so good. <laughs> well, that's like half the game for the most part. There's so many terrible things. <laughs> just well, yeah. a, Just a few... You know, there's there's something about a game in which you need to 
bounce around platforms, just like the first game, only here you often need to switch your viewpoint in the middle of the platform bouncing while on a timer. Doesn't that sound fun? It does. And let's see there. Have we touched on the story yet, Sam? Did you remember any of it? None other than, oh my god, I'm Flint, people love me, I'm a bandit, I saved Princess Crapola. No, the prin- you don't save the princess until the very end, because she just comes up near the beginning and says, Oh, you're Flint, you're shorter than I thought you'd be. I want you to help me. And so she sticks around with you for the first few areas, and does nothing but nag and bitch at you. Nice. So, she's a wife. I was about to say... I guess maybe maybe something was made of that at the end of the game, but the ending is remarkably vague on a whole lot of points. And yes, eventually she is um I forget exactly how this went, but she ends up kidnapped by Baron Diaz. And Baron Diaz looks more like Baron von Kraut. He just looks remarkably German with a monocle in one eye. And he he wants to make her his wife. You know, how many plots in an RPG has that formulated? I can't remember right now. And he also holds her as a hostage for Flint. He essentially tells Flint, go get the things I need or I'll kill her. And Flint, well, partially because he's mute, but also because he's an idiot, just does that. I'm going to go out and do what you want. So that forms up pretty much the second half of the game. You going out and doing the Baron's bidding and then at the end <gasps> shock Mephisto betrays him you never saw that coming did you the underling of the main baddie betraying him that, that's never happened before right mm, sounds new to me not for a couple weeks goody no I I think I have to go back back to June to come up with an instance of that. <laughs> a boss which you fight but don't kill somehow the gigantic explosions that take away everything else which is a boss don't affect the people. Mm, sounds like Bioware-worthy material. Sounds like a turd sandwich. that you fight. Then you fight Mephisto three times. Woo-hoo. Yeah, you have to fight every boss in these games and, and three times. His, <laughs> well, and of course, his first form is a complete and utter joke. I think I took maybe two hits from it, but then he turns. He switches his head over to a gigantic beast. You have to mm. knock the, uh, the limbs off of three times, and then he. Ex- Oh, I'm afraid Mr. Mike is suffering from some technical difficulties there. Can y'all still hear me over there? Yep, you sound good. Yeah, it was just Mike. (laughs) Whoops! Anywho. um, Is there anything else y'all can think about uh, regarding this wonderful gem of a game? Don't play it. Ever. (laughs) If you see it, ever. Cheap. Smash the disc. This, this really is one of those cases. And to the people who I know 
love it and who listen to this, why did you torture yourself? Yeah. How did you find this game fun? Like, I'd love to study you and, and, and wonder why why you hurt yourself. And, and we, I mean, really do want to hear your comments. Feel free to jump on our boards and tell us why you think this pile of – I mean, this wonderful piece of history is, is why you think it's actually fun if you do. Because, uh, well, oh, boy. Or tell us how good the first one is and agree with us because it is good. Yeah, I mean, and – It is, uh, it is it. good. Yeah, the um, and taking a look at um, uh, taking a look at um, some of our uh, reviews here, whatnot. Lunger one got four point five uh, from uh, uh, Mister uh, Mike Tidwell and uh, Derek Roku Caven. Now the real shock here, and it's a shame that Mike fell off the call because I know he'd appreciate this. But uh, uh, Mister Otter gave a Lunger a two point five. <laughs> Uh, yeah, boy, that otter boy, he just he just keeps popping up again and again. Alundra 2, <laughs> what's that? Well, well, and don't forget, Jooms gave it a 3.5. You know, he's... It's not listed there yet, but... Why is it not? Oh, he just did it? He just did it. Uh, I see that he's back on Skype, so maybe we'll be able to get him back on the uh, call here. We'll try again. Uh, let's see here, see what he thinks about this uh, this uh, this review here by Mr. Otter. Hey, Mr. Mike, you there? I think so, yes. Yeah, we were just point- like I said the internet is the internet is very problematic tonight. We're uh, we were looking over the uh, you know RP Gamer reviews for the first Alundra, and Derek and Mike Tidwell gave it a four point five, but uh, your good your good bud and friend Mister Ireland gave it a two point five. What are your thoughts on that? I'd have to look at the text to find exactly what Otter found objectionable. But I think he was a little harsh on it because Otter has little quirks. <laughs> um, and and then uh, and then Mike uh, Mike Tidwell gave a lunger two a three out of five. Said it was uh, well. This was back when we were using the ten point scale, a five out of ten, I guess. And uh, said that a lunger with one possible reason he might have done that, which is late in the game, Flint rescues a dragon. That dragon says something about it is the custom of my people to pay back a debt 100 times and offers to fly Flint wherever he wants. So, being flown anywhere he wants by a dragon just might have pumped up the overall score for Mr. Fire Mist a little bit. Don't you think? (laughs) Maybe that's why why it's an unofficial review. Uh, Alundra 2, he says, Alundra 2 will bring back memories of those who played the original, but the move from 2D to 3D, as well as many of the different changes, loses the magical chemistry that the first one had. While the puzzles are the same style, the mixture of the new elements creates an entirely new experience, but only an average one. I tell you what, though, um, I, I mean, I haven't played uh, either one yet. I did get Alundra for my, my PSP, but I haven't actually had a chance to uh, play around with it. But looking at these... Graphic, holy sweet mercy! My eyes are bleeding. This is terrible. From a lunger too. Holy, holy, blacktastic Batman! I Phil, mean, whoa! Phil, I just did a review for this game, and I gave the visuals a one. This, this, I think that was fully justified. This makes Final Fantasy VII's polygon graphics look good. Oh, and Final Fantasy VIII's questionable jagginess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Boy, I tell you, this kind of puts it all in perspective, doesn't it? 
Ooh, boy. Uh, oh, boy. I, I would like to mention one quick amusing bit about Alundra 2's uh, cinemas, which are, of course, all composed with the in-game graphics so that you can marvel at close-ups of those characters. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. Just what you needed to keep your lunch down, right? <laughs> uh, in which your pirate friends, one in particular, manages to construct a raft with sail in midair. And he did not appear to use any time displacement abilities, so I'm guessing he's just that on the ball to construct something which involves lashing a whole bunch of logs together plus putting a sail on top in uh, under 10 seconds? Yeah. I just found that, I just found that funny. I also found it funny that a guy who is transparently Flint's dad, as is made clear in a flashback, never has anything else to do with the plot after he tells Flint to get the hell out of uh, the Pirate Queen's lair. And, yeah, that could have been something, but it isn't. Huh. So, yeah, that's the kind of thing about Elender 2. Even its story, which is already annoying and gets scanty as the game goes on, it even manages to forget lots of potentially interesting things like this. Particularly how Baron Diaz irritated the pirates by using their logo for bad things, but again, that's never mentioned at all. Because the Lunder 2 likes to forget things. Well, I hate to I hate to dwell on the negative for too long here, so any uh any last and final thoughts about the Alundra series before we move on to something a bit more positive? Well how about for the first game, since I this is my horrible, horrible internet enemy from saying it earlier, there's a very interesting character named Maya. Did anybody bring her up earlier? Nope. Paul? Nope. Okay, Maya shows up a little after Sam left off as another dreamwalker. And she initially tries to comfort the people of Iona by also going into their dreams, but without the suspicion that Alundra has accrued to himself. But eventually she has a dream that Alundra enters, and we learn why she's acting differently than he did. And it turns out that uh, she comes from a very sad background of her parents both fell afoul of the religious order at the time, which worshipped the gods. And her father was publicly executed, and her mother attempted to convince people of the Dreamwalker's importance and got killed for it, too. So she's got good reasons for trying to not rock the boat at all. And later, she and Alundra actually cooperate somewhat in tackling a dream together, which makes for a very interesting dungeon, particularly because you get to use her as a platform several times. One instance of that in particular, she says, uh, I don't recall giving you permission to use me as a Stairmaster. You were pretty good, though. So that whole dungeon, there's a lot more dialogue than most of the dungeons in Alundra. And yes, there are some frustrating puzzles about it, but it's very interesting. Another thing about the first Alundra, which I don't know if we mentioned, the bosses. Any discussion of them? None. Okay, Paul, do you remember how many hits some of the later bosses took? Um... No, but I think it was a lot. 
Or it felt like a lot yes. because they took forever to kill. Yeah, Ronan, when you fight him, doesn't seem that strong, except it, take, it takes 40-something hits to kill him. <laughs> and when you fight Melzus at the end, if you don't use the cheap way of um, magicking him, actually that only works on his final form, but it takes a lot of hits to kill him. Even with the best weapon in the game, the one that you earn by dying repeatedly so that a king a, who is forever immortalized in statue form will say, maybe you do need this sword. It takes over 20 hits to kill him. <laughs> I know that because I found it out the hard way. Huh. I cited that in the review because it was definitely bothersome to have to hit the enemies over and over and over again and memorize their patterns really well so that you had so that you didn't outtax your resources for replenishment. That sounds so not okay, fun. Okay, I, I just remembered those two aspects. <laughs> so not fun. So not fun. <laughs> so not fun. Oh my gosh. You know... Oh, and... It, uh, even though he's featured in the manual, Zordia, the e the ugly evil gargoyle, uh, you meet him twice, and aside from being one of those bosses that takes an idiotic number of hits, he's not really worth the space that the manual accords him. <laughs> Sorry, work designs, he didn't deserve that big slot, as if he were somehow important. Lame! <laughs> Sorry. It's just... <laughs> I hate the bosses in that game. They're no fun. And you didn't get far enough to see the half of what they could do, did you? Yeah. That's right, and you know what? I am okay with that. <laughs> see, you're not, you're not hardcore enough, Sam. You're supposed to go, What? Those bosses are really, really tough? Well, I'm just going to go in there and beat the crap out of them anyway. Can I just go have a nap instead? <laughs> I, guess I don't not. know, Paul, Phil, what do you think? Should she, should she take a nap instead? Uh, you know, I think she can take... What she'd like. <laughs> I think she can take a 30, 45 second nap while we play some music and come back and talk about something a little more positive because I'm all depressed now. So, we'll be yeah, right... Yeah, remember, I had a positive overall view of the first Alundra. Ay, ay, ay. So, we're going to take a teeny tiny break and we'll be right back with our blast from the recent past candidate for the week or show or month or whatever. <laughs>
I mentioned on the last show, we're kind of changing our format a little bit, and on our Blast from the Recent Past segment, rather than go through a whole list of games that came out uh, in a month, two years ago, we're just picking one. Uh, and this time we're picking Little King Story for the Wii, developed by Sing in Town Factory, who I never heard of before this game. Um, and uh, pub- Sing, if you want to know, they made the Jake... Uh, not the Jake Hunter games, the um, Hotel Dust games. Ah. Mm. So which are uh, visual novels. Published by uh, Rising Star Games. Uh, this is a uh, single-player, role-playing, real-time strategy hybrid game. Released July 21st, 2009 for your Nintendo Wii. Rated T for T. What in the heck makes this worthy of a T? It's the cutest little game on Earth. What? what whatever. Uh, this one should have had an E. This is really nothing offensive in this game, unless you consider, you know, an eight-year-old being a king somehow offensive. But you um, could have multiple wives. There you go, polygamy. <laughs> right. Does it automatically get a T rating in Utah, though? Uh, no, actually, in Utah, that makes it E for everyone. They 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 start off the youngins early here. I'm sorry, we're gonna get angry emails now. <laughs> So, um, Little Kingster, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, um, I have a Wii, and um, and I got one like a year or two after they had been out, so long enough, uh, long enough to where there was actually stock on the shelves, but not quite long enough to where they actually start dropping prices yet. Uh, so I paid full price for my Wii, and, and long story short is I honestly don't feel like I got my money's worth out of it just because uh, there really wasn't a, a lot of good releases on it. But Little King's uh, story is one of the exceptions. It is one of the really good third-party releases anyways for, for the Wii. Um, there's obviously a number of good first-party games on there, but uh, just not not a ton of great third-party games, especially if you're in a, into RPGs and whatnot. So you uh, you control a a little king dude. I don't remember his name, but um, I don't even remember the story to be honest, because I was just having too much fun with the game. I really actually didn't care much about the story except for the fact that you're a new king, and you gotta lead your your citizens and help expand the uh, the area that you control around you. Um, and it kind of reminds me a little bit of, of Pikmin. Uh, you basically lead a variety of different types of villagers that follow you, um, and that can be like uh, woodsmen or uh, or shepherds or whatever, uh, workers, farmers, soldiers. Uh, that will uh, that you you know you you'll decide who to take with you as you go out and try to expand into new areas and fight beasties and whatnot. Um, and um, you're building and fortifying your your kingdom, uh, and making a lot of decisions for the kingdom. Mm, I'm not exactly sure. Maybe one of y'all can remember exactly what the RPG elements were of this. I mean, other than the the story and whatnot, it's kind of a, in a way feels more like a kingdom sim with Pikmin elements, I guess. But I mean, you did have to make choices. Um, but I don't know. Didn't, didn't you play this, Sam? I played a little bit of it back at Run to the Sun uh, a few years ago, um, and I, you know what, Little King Story is as RPG as Harvest Moon is. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, um, yeah. <laughs> you know what, I mean, it's a fair comparison to make, but Little King Story, I think what people just gravitate to towards it. It's just the fact that it's it's a very cheeky game. Yeah. Like, it's got a lot of personality. Um, 
what you're asked to do in terms of you know building a kingdom and having plentiful followers um it, it can get very addictive at times um there's a lot of strategy believe it or not to the game as well just figuring out how you want to build your towns you know who you want to take over um and even just you know when you get to boss battles and stuff um I mean, I only got as far as the first boss in the, the demo I was allowed to play, but I remember the first boss was like a, a skeletal bull, and they would play the... I, this is so sad that I don't know what it's called, but the... Like, it had a lot of classical music. I know it's so embarrassing that I just did that. No. I don't remember what it's called, but this whole soundtrack, it's all classical music, so you have you know, all sorts of classical pieces, and this just goes to show, like, that I have no concept of classical music. <laughs> um, but, you know... Is the 1812 Overture in there? Yes. Yeah, it, it, it... Yeah. I think that's the one I was trying to think of. I couldn't, couldn't do it. It was... I think the background music was all Beethoven Symphony Number no. 9 and D minor. OPS 125, fourth movement. I'm sorry. What about his fifth symphony? That one's pretty well known, too. <laughs> just reading off the notes there but yeah i remember i remember that was one of the things about the game was uh, you're like wow this sounds awfully familiar and i looked it up and i was like yeah this is some uh this is some beethoven public domain stuff nice yeah most of these composers have been dead for a while so they can't complain if their music but, but, has fallen out of their own but you know you know it actually worked with little king story because it was so cheeky and off the wall and quirky that you know, you could you could put public domain music in there, and it and actually just kind of fit right in. I just it, it worked. It really did work, and it's just a, a really really fun and, and and interesting experience from top to bottom. The the graphics are the the two D uh, variety, which it's it's um, it's ironically we're talking about in Alundra how the first game had two D graphics and it looked much better than the second game, which had a three D graphics. Um, and uh, and and this one, I, th I believe, is 2D graphics, or maybe it's 3D graphics no, with a fixed perspective. It's 3D. It's for the it's 3D, 3D with a fixed perspective. perspective. But it really, really comes across with that 2D charm, with that with that type of, you know, cartoony, uh, cutesy, cutesy look and whatnot. It's definitely one of the nicer looking games on the Wii. I mean, it's a very, very crisp looking game, um, and you know, it's also one of those games where it's just got so much color. Like, you're not, you know, you're not playing something that's dark and dreary. This this game is really, like, and the best word is for it, cheeky. You know? You have all this color. You have all this personality. Like, you have random hearts floating on the screen. <laughs> like, this this game just has, you know, all this, this cuteness to it. And I don't know. Just, if I, if I owned a Wii, you know, I'd love to play this game. But... You know, I'm not buying a Wii for this one pretty awesome game. Hey, they're on sale, and there's Rune Factory, you I know? I remember our own Glenn Wilson liked it very much as well, and he can be hard to impress. Well, Glenn Wilson also, you know, likes girly games and just doesn't tell people, but, you know, <laughs> it's okay. Uh, well, I'm... I'm... You, you quite as enamored with Fallout 3 as he is, Sam? Um, I'm, yeah, I'm not exactly a fan of Rainbow 
Bright or any other girly thingies, but uh, this one is is definitely a fun and solid game. And, but it is it definitely does have that cute uh, charm that my wife was sitting there uh, watching me play it, and she could just sit there and and she was getting. Uh, she was, you know, she was getting all giddy about the little cute tongue and cheek, the super cute animals, that sort of thing. Whereas I, being the uh, being the type of guy, was just uh, enjoying the the gameplay because you do have that strategy of getting the right villagers together to deal with uh, with a problem or overcome an obstacle or whatnot, take them out with you. The fights were uh, a little tooth and nail there, uh, getting your soldiers into the right place at the right time and having them get their licks in while you're coordinating the action uh, was definitely a challenge. And um, and whatnot. So and I'm a big fan of strategy games. So this is kind of a real time strategy light type of game when it comes to the combat and how you're kind of you know which guys you take out with you and how you're using them in combat and whatnot. And uh, just looking at uh, both Adrian and uh, Glenn gave it a 4.5 out of five. Uh, and Glenn uh, mentioned some of the great points about this game as it plays like an addictive simulation, and that's probably something it has in common there with the Rune Factory and the Harvest Moon series. Uh, excellent presentations we've mentioned. Uh, introduction of mechanics, will make the new mechanics in the game are, is well-paced. The strange sense of humor is absolutely hilarious, and the optional quest encourage exploration. Um, I don't remember a whole lot of details about the optional side quest. I... Um, I did do a couple here or there as I kind of ran across them, um, and just like everything else, it was kind of you know cutesy, and you do very interesting things to to help out your kingdom and your people and stuff. Um, he does point out that some of the boss fights can be long and frustrating, which is <laughs> which is kind of true. <laughs> that but that that to me is kind of the 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 challenge that that that's what kind of kept me in it as a as a guy. I like the fact that there was uh, some you know challenge in this game. And it's funny because Adrian has almost all the same opinions. <laughs> there you go. If you got a if you got a Nintendo Wii, there's absolutely no reason not to not to own this this game. It's an absolutely mandatory collection for any RP gamer on the uh, on the system today. That's for sure. Uh, let's just take a look real fast here, just in case there's like two people in the world who haven't picked this up yet. It's going for about fifteen twenty bucks uh, used on eBay. So, not a bad deal. I paid 40 or 50 Did we check the prices for the Alundra games on eBay? <laughs> well, you don't have to because um, Alundra 1 is on the PlayStation Network, which means it's probably... So it's 9 bucks. Yeah. It's like... Or no, sorry. It's it's $6, actually. You, yeah. It'll be between... Yeah. So I was going to say between 6 and 10. Box with the, with uh, if you're just absolutely dying for the original scratch, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, used it goes for about twenty to. Yeah, it goes for about twenty to forty. Uh, brand new, it's a hundred and some odd dollars. <laughs> Don't go. It's a working designs game. You gotta expect that. Well, yeah, if you want it brand new, it's still shrunk in the shrink wrap. Alundra two is uh, nine to twenty dollars used. And uh, and brand new is about forty to eighty bucks new in the shrink wrap. So I can't believe there's no, actually... you should be suckered into making that bargain. I can't believe there's still PlayStation. I mean, honestly, they did they did a the right thing with the PlayStation Network. They released a Lunger One, and they didn't release a Lunger Two. <laughs> so, um, so well, well, that is that Working Designs didn't release a Lunger Two. Activision did. Yeah. 
So you got uh, so you if you uh, you got if you're looking for something old and fun to play, pick up a lunge or one on the PlayStation Network, and then uh, pick up uh, Little King Story for your Wii. That's our recommendation. And for I, this sh- I should say again, like I said in the review, that if you want to see as an instrument a demonstration of the ugliness that developers can make when they really seem to be blind as to what they're really creating then just look at Alundra 2 for a while. Marvel that people pushed this through development and thought to themselves, this this will sell. People will look at this and be enticed to buy our game because of how it looks. Mm. Mm. So while while everybody ponders those deep thoughts, we're going to take... Also, I should give one last word. Activision did a good job with the localization. I don't want to dismiss Activision. It's the equivalent of, you know putting a nice shiny bow around a steaming pile of excrement, but it's still nice. Um, so we're going to take a little teeny tiny break and we're going to wrap this up with Final Lap after this musical soundtrack. I'm uh, taking a look at our last episode. It was a few weeks ago. Uh, we kind of had a little hiatus here um, at the beginning I of... I blame that on airplanes. Yeah, among other things. Um, but, uh, you know, we uh, we did... Uh, our last episode was about Albert Odyssey and uh, what was the other game? Magic, Magic Knight Wraith. There you go. And um, and whatnot. Uh, and Sam here, the unadventurous soul that she is, is not willing to buy a Saturn yet. Yeah, what's up with that, Sam? I mean, I think Sam should go out and buy a Saturn just to play those games. No. Come on, Sam. Be adventurous. No. You know you want to do it. No. <laughs> like I said, unadventurous. XR2. I... <laughs> XR... I would love to own a Saturn, but you know what? I don't have time for it. Uh, I, I understand the feeling. I don't have time for what I have. Uh, XR2 wrote, The only reason to play Albert Odyssey now is for the script. Working Design decided to take the anconistic humor. They served as a side dish in the Lunar Games and make it the main course. I could consider playing this game the game if it wasn't for the load times, which didn't bother me as much back then, but nowadays... Of course, uh, I... Go ahead. I'm going to say this again. Working Designs did reduce those load times considerably. So just imagine how much worse it was in the Japanese version. 
See, I did try to replay uh, Magic Knight more recently, but as with the experience on the podcast, it takes a little too long before the game becomes interactive. I do remember especially liking the look of the fountains. I know that was random. Pretty fountains for the win. There you go. He was looking forward to uh, hearing about Lundra, so uh, he's getting to hear that right now. He wants to know, no love for Shining Wisdom, though? Any any thoughts about Shining Wisdom there, uh, Mr. Minky? Uh, uh, I have no extensive thoughts. I played it for maybe half an hour ten years ago, and I thought, wow, this is Camelot's attempt to do a Zelda-style game, and it's not good at all. So I didn't play it any more than that. Maybe <laughs> if I played it now, I would think better, but this I this was back when I freely set down things if they, they didn't hook me quickly, and boy, did Shining Wisdom not hook me at all. Uh, Kioska said that... Uh, is that a Kioski? Kioska? I don't know. Kioske. Kioske! Um, yeah, he, she, it says... Uh, Careful, the, Phil, I think your microphone was overwhelmed with spit there. Yeah, well, I cleaned it up. The ending theme here from the opening of Magic Knight Raider took me way back. Yeah, I, I kind of like that. I mean, I never played the games or seen the anime myself, uh, but when I was doing research for uh, for the soundtracks that I normally, you know, insert in between the different segments, and I heard that, I was like, you know what, i got to get that whole thing into the podcast, so I did. Um, I never got to play anything on the Saturn. It was so short-lived. Uh, still, the game sounded like a lot of fun. Albert Ossie was always a series I was curious about. Having seen a working design website for years, I enjoyed hearing about it. Alas, it seemed more like a pass for me, yeah. Well, for a lot of us, I it was like a pass. I would like to say that even though the Saturn had a better RPG library than the Nintendo 64. Mm-hmm. I realize that's not saying much, but it is nevertheless true. Yeah. Right, Sam? Poor Nintendo 64. <laughs> <laughs> Um, he says, I think if the recent past section is going to be a small bit placed in a podcast, I prefer to have it at the front. Well, I mean, it's not that we're specifically trying to make it a small bit, but rather, uh, just not try to cover four games in one quick sitting or something like that. Sometimes, um, they kind of come off a little short, I guess, little King story, because the story really isn't, it's a little King story, but I really don't feel like the story was the huge focus of the game, so therefore we really didn't have so much to talk about. Uh, it's really the you know kind of the gameplay and the charm of the whole thing, but we're not. If we were still doing the gigantic blast from the recent past section, we would have had to talk about a Mega Man Star Force game, which no one here was eager to do. No, not really, not at all. <laughs> uh, oh, thank you. No, you can keep that. But um, some of the recent past will, I mean, we're, we're will be more will we'll be longer than others. Um, so it's not that we're trying to specifically make them short. We're just trying to keep it a little bit more focused instead of uh, all over the board. Um, a uh, he, she, it says, did I hear correctly that you're doing a Lundra next? Oh my god, if that's so, I'll definitely have something to say about the game. Well, you better. And it better, not, and it, boy, it better not be, oh boy, I love a Lundra too, you guys suck. <laughs> we'll do something. Yeah, it better not be like that person who commented on my review, ooh, I'm one of the few people who like this game. Well, yeah, I, when I saw that the Let's Play of A Wonder 2 on YouTube had lots of people proclaiming proudly that they had played it multiple times and were eager to do so again, I knew there were people like that, but mm. I still don't see where you're coming from, and I never will. Our next uh, backtrack uh, is our big number 50, and uh, we're going to be uh, celebrating it by... Uh, by talking about a number of really great um, cornerstone games in in 
the history of RPGs. We are going to talk about the first three Dragon Quest games. Uh, and if that's not beefy for you, our PC pit stop is going to be Baldur's Gate 2. Uh, so we definitely got a lot of stuff that we're going to be discussing on the next show. You'll want to be there for that. Any thoughts about that, Mr. Mickey? I don't Mickey? think Sam will join us, though. What? Sam. Bad Sam. Sam and her drag quest just doesn't seem to work. Bad Sam, bad. Also, I have games I must review for the site. Hmm. That wouldn't matter if you'd played Dragon Quest in the past, but I don't think you have. I've only played the first Dragon Quest game, and my brother said it was stupid, so he sold it on me. Yeah. So, he sold it on you? What? My brother got a copy of Dragon Quest One, and he thought it was the most boring game he'd ever played. Now, my brother doesn't care about RPGs. He didn't know what an RPG was, so he didn't care. Um, and he took the game from me, and he sold it on me before I even really got to play it. So oh, okay. I had a copy, and then my brother was like, this is lame. I don't want this in my collection anymore. And his collection mostly consisted of Mario and Skate or Die. Sounds like your brother is all about the Twitches. My brother's special. All about the Twitches. Um, so, hey, before we leave, Sam, I want to thank you for being on the show. Is there anything you want to plug or anything you want to say to our collective audience of 12 people out there? We have more than 12. Okay, 13. Oh, great. Um, just be on the lookout for a review of Chantilly's coming soon, which is the new project from Carpe Fulger. Is that like Why, in... Sam? Are you already not... Are you not willing to direct people towards that little feature you put together a few days ago? There's also that. I was going to say, um, there's a wonderful feature that um, many of the staffers contributed to, which, thank you guys so much. Um, you made my life very happy um called memory lane and memory lane is about how a lot of the staffers and our one guest um either got into rpgs or you know just a particular moment in our lives where rpgs were very meaningful uh, and it's a wonderful feature people's got some great memories the stories are definitely worth reading and i encourage people who are listening to please contribute your own stories on the forums as you know that's what this feature is meant to generate so kind of reminds kind of reminds me of the um and i forget who does it but that that it's a it's a it's a history library thing a, a public works type of thing where people tell their stories of audio and it gets it gets logged into a congress of some sort for future generations to listen to so we're kind of bringing together stories about people's experiences with RPGs, their memorable experiences, and uh, and archiving that for all time. Well, there's a wonderful story written by Mike Minky about Shining Force 3, which is – it's a quite a cute story actually. So I definitely yeah, recommend I, that one. One that has many other tangents I could have gone off into, but I tramped it down for – It tried meaning. not to. I mean, um, there's a great story about... I'm already talking about a, a game that none of, nobody else has played because it's on the Saturn exclusively. Except for Max Storm. <laughs> yes, Max Storm agrees with me that it's so good you have to play all of it, even though two-thirds of it is in Japanese. Indeed. 
Um, there's some great stories about, you know, sisters playing RPGs. Um, our translator, Chloe Kong, she wrote a story about um, how her and her dad play RPGs together and how even to this day they still play RPGs together. Um, I've got a wonderful story about from our, our guest writer, uh, Trent Fingland, from GameCritics.com. Uh, he tells a story about how his dad, who wasn't much of an RP gamer, uh, uh, played Sword of Vermilion, and because Trent was, you know, he'd be at school and his dad would be just getting ready to go to work, his dad would videotape him himself playing Sword of Vermilion just for Trent, um, and how Trent would pop the tape and he'd try to watch it, and then how unfortunately uh, his tape got dubbed over with Mad Max. So... Like, that's a really great story. We've got a story from Becky about a bard's tale um, and her experiences of being an old-school PC gamer with an Apple II. Um, I've, got a couple, I've got two D&D stories on there for people who like tabletop games. And I've got, well, then there's my story, which, you know, is all about childhood best friends and what role-playing games mean to the two of us. So there's, there's good stuff. Very proud of how this turned out. Mm. Cool. Cool, cool. I think so. If you had contributed to it, Phil, what would your story have been? Hmm. Um. Oh, I would probably find some way to write up something about the the gold box games and how they got me, how they got me addicted to to RPGs back in the day. So, and how to this day I'm still looking for something that's that good. Of course, I'm looking at them now with the rose-colored lenses, but that's beside the point. <laughs> yeah, when was the last time you played them, Phil? I played uh, about four years ago or so. I played them through uh, DOSBox um, and whatnot, and yeah, it's uh, it's a little tough to get back into them. Especially since the keyboard layouts are a little different, so you're like trying to press different keys and you expect an up key to go up and it doesn't work that way because the, the key coatings and stuff are, are different in the 21st century. I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting, so um, I need to find a joystick or something to work with that works with those things. You could also use a good old-fashioned – I mean I used to play it on the Commodore 64 with an Atari joystick for crying out loud, and that worked just fine. That's awesome. That is awesome. You're using 3.5 floppy disks that don't even hold 100, you know, 100 and some odd K kilobytes. It's an Atari joystick and not a Sega Genesis pad, huh? I mean, you're using an Atari joystick, yeah, hooked up to your Commodore 64. And every time you die and you had to reload the game, that was an excuse to go and get some uh, food out of the fridge because it just really took a long time. <laughs> but that was okay because it was so awesome. Even when you failed that saving throw against the Dragon's Breath and you had to reload for the third time that battle. That was just okay. That was part of the fun, but um, yeah, no, I've got so many memories, boy. RPGs are awesome, awesome. Speaking of, um, uh, I I was on vacation for the last week, uh, visiting the folks and stuff. So I got a little bit of time with my handhelds and stuff, and I finally beat a game. I don't beat games very often anymore because I'm just so busy. It wasn't Dragon Quest Four, though. You, you told me what happened there. Uh, no, you know, I sh I could have focused more on that because I, I have got that back up to like the 25 hour mark. So I, I, I do need to get back to that and knock that out. Uh, no, it was actually, it's kind of be ironic that since I seem to have no time to beat games that finally when I do beat a game, it's a, it's one with a really short name, 32nd Hero. So <laughs> I beat a game finally and someone that 
you know, has 30 seconds in the title, you know, which really funny story with that is when I was buying that in the store, my wife was with me and I was like, oh, look, it's half minute. It's a half minute here, not 30 seconds. But I'm like, hey, look, this is a new game. It's out. half minute hero. And she said, oh, that's a perfect game for you. Describes you to a T. Oh, that wasn't very nice. Well, Phil, thought. at least you know your wife knows you pretty well. Yeah. She knows what games to get me. I don't know. Anywho, um, so right now I'm playing, and I'm trying to finish off ZHP, but the, the end boss is just really giving me a hard time. And it's one of those things where I kind of, you know, say, do I really want to put in, I don't know how many more hours of grinding it will take just so I can beat this last guy. Ah, I've enjoyed the game and being able to get through the game with no big problems up until the final boss, who's really even using my unlosing powers that I've never had to use before, which makes you... Uh, very powerful for a few turns. I still can't get past the uh, last guy. So if any of you are big ZHP fans um, and can uh, give me some uh, tips on the boards, that would be awesome. Because uh, I'm almost at a point where I just want to retire the game and screw seeing the ending. But I, I do want to see it because I think it's a funny story. I've enjoyed the game so far. And I have done some grinding, so it's not like I'm totally just trying to get through it in one run. But... Uh, it's kind of frustrating that... Uh, if anybody does have ZHP tips, make sure that you say something about our main topic, because otherwise that will derail the thread quite magnificently. Oh, I, I doubt ZHP will derail. <laughs> I don't think there's that many people that are into ZHP. It's kind of uh, one of those acquired tastes. And it's on the PSP, and it's a downloadable-only title, I believe. So I don't think they sold that one in a box. I could be wrong, though. They did. They did? Oh. I, I did it through the PlayStation Network store, so... Anywho. Cladon was the weird one that didn't get Ah, Cladon. I've got that one, too, and I need to go through. I'll probably get into that one after I get through ZHP as my PSP uh, RPG that I'm working through when I get uh, times with my handheld. So, actually, I should go back and be Dragon Quest IV. Um, how about you, Mr. Minky? Anything, anything you want to plug with the, with the masses, Mr. Minky? Nothing that we haven't discussed a bit. I, I think everyone Everybody noticed that I reviewed the Lundra games recently, and I'll... Actually, my reviews will not be directly related to our next few shows, but that's fine. We'll we'll manage to survive even as I spring some seemingly unrelated stuff on you for a while. Well, tell people what you're playing right now, because you're playing a really old gem. Wow, what you playing, Mike? Grandstream Saga? Ooh. Oh, Which, I'm, even I'm, though a lot of people seem to have forgotten about it, is definitely a spiritual part of Quintet's Soul Blazer Illusion of Gaia Terra Enigma series. If you play it, you will spot the connections immediately. And you know what? Even though it's three years older than Alundra 2, it looks better than, than that game. <laughs> Despite the people Early, having no faces? You know, after playing it a while, I don't mind that so much. Yes, it looks kind of weird, but it, it also gives it a unique look, which I won't soon forget. <laughs> It'll haunt your nightmares. This game also has boobies. Yeah. Boobies! Yeah, I'll, I'll, That's one I'll thing have I to remember. remember that old story of the people without faces, because uh, it definitely applies if you look at it with the right way, with the right frame of mind. <laughs> well, it's hard to fall the game with boobies. Okay. That seems to be the entire inspiration behind Queen's Blade and more besides. 
Well, whatever, whatever, whatever works and whatnot. Um, Sam knows what Queen's Blade is. <laughs> Guys, we uh, we thank you for listening to RPG Backtrack. As always, you are the reason why we continue this insanity every few weeks. Hey, do us a favor. Rate us on iTunes, right on our boards at rpgamer.com. Do something. Let us know that you're out there and that you're enjoying the show because um, it's the one fan letter we get every three months that uh, keeps uh, our spirits up here. Um, RPG Backtrack is a production of RP Gamer, your source for RPG news, impressions, reviews, articles, and home to the best gaming community on the net. Write your questions and comments on our boards or email jcservin at rpgamer.com and help show, shape our future shows. Don't forget to follow us at twitter.com slash rpgamer and become our biggest fans at facebook.com slash rpgamer. As always, listen to our vast library of 49 podcasts, as well as our awesome sister shows, RPG Cast and RPG Sanctum, all at rpgamer.com. Mr. Mike, please put us to bed. I was going to have an elaborate and fascinating speech ready, but then the internet decided to hurt me in many ways, which no one should ever know about. So I'll just say, I'll under one... It's a good game. I won't say great, but anybody who happens to love platforming and love pixel-perfect precision being required in your jumps, good for you. You'll probably have a ball with it, even more than I did. Alunder 2 is a fascinating example of what developers can create if they all manage to be simultaneously blind to the, the profound foolishness of what they should have been doing instead. But apparently there are a few people who have joined the Fool's Parade, and if you take exception to that, so be it. I won't lose sleep at night over it.
Thank you.